My Jesus, I love thee. Beautiful love song. And a good reminder of why we're here. Um, Apparently in first service, I mentioned Pastor Jose too many times. He had comments about this. Um, But for him to have the audacity to say that I'm one of the good-looking pastors. According to two very prominent figures in my life, my wife and my mother, I am the best-looking, so Jose just needs to be aware of that. We just got back from our youth mission trip this last Tuesday night. We got back a little bit later than planned because we got a flat tire in between here and Indianapolis, which was only fitting because on the same trailer, the other tire went flat on our way down in Indianapolis. Um, Again, I'm not going to mention who used the trailer before me because I'm not going to mention Pastor Jose as much um, or blame him for this, but... It was an amazing mission trip. We went down to a town called Clarkston, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta there, and the city of Clarkston takes in 1,500 refugees every year, refugees from all over the world who come there with absolutely nothing, not speaking the language, not knowing the culture, and then are told to get a job. And we went to help. It didn't take but a few moments there to realize this is a big task for one week. You can't change the world in a week. And so we began doing some triage, trying to determine what are the important things, what are the things we need to accomplish this week. A situation we often find ourselves in trying to figure out, okay, what are the most important things to do? Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God that you are. Thank you for being a God who, when you look down, you call us your children. And you lived a life that showed us we were the important things to you. In your name, amen. It was one of those ministry days where everything was going perfectly. It was the kind of day that in ministry you could only hope for because, you see, more people were coming then you could actually meet their needs. People were flocking to Jesus. People from all sorts, young people, old people, well people, sick people, intelligent people, other people, all of them were coming to Jesus. And the disciples realized they had a problem. This was the best kind of problem to have. They were going to have to do some triage. They were going to have to figure out who needed to see Jesus first. And it came pretty simple to them. 
You see, the sick people, of course, they needed Jesus. The, the people who could understand the deeper things, they, they needed Jesus. But the, this one group, well, honestly, I mean, seriously, they were just being brought to Jesus so that Jesus could touch them. They didn't have any needs. These, these were kids being brought by their mothers, their fathers, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles. Jesus doesn't have time for that. And so there at the edge of the crowd, the disciples would look at these people and they say, yeah, no, no, maybe, maybe on a slower day, but no, Jesus doesn't have time for these kids. And you have to wonder where they got this idea because this was clearly not the idea Jesus had promoted. In Mark chapter 5, chapter 7, and chapter 9, Jesus goes out of his way to heal children. So it seems pretty clear that Jesus had made the point, children are important to me. But yet here the disciples are, they're, they're turning them away, and you have to wonder why, except maybe it had to do with the culture of the time. At that time, children were not valued. Children were merely people waiting to be adults. Once they were adults, well, then you could talk to them. Then you could reason with them. But children, they needed to grow up first. Maybe this is why the disciples were so quick to turn them away. But you still have to wonder why, because just in the previous chapter to this, in Mark chapter 9, verse 37, you have Jesus talking, and he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Wait. Jesus straight up tells his disciples Whoever welcomes children welcomes me. And not just welcomes me, but welcomes my father, the one who sent me. And yet, here his disciples are, one chapter later, turning children away, doing the exact opposite. And you have to wonder, like, did they not get this? How, how do you miss something this clear, this big? <sighs> I'm really thankful 2,000 years later, we've got it all together. I'm really thankful that we, we now would never do this. Oh, we love to quote Jesus welcoming the little children. But there, there on that day, Jesus stops his disciples. And he does not follow Matthew 18. He does not say, um, excuse me, guys, could we talk somewhere privately? He shuts them down. And he d I love the New Revised Standard Version. It says that he was indignant and he spoke sternly with them. And Jesus basically says to them, hey, guys, get out of the way. Let the children come to me. And these are verses we love to read. We love to read them at baby dedications. We love to read them because it's a, it's a wonderful reminder. Jesus loves children. 
We love to tell our children about this because when we get to heaven, you're going to sit on Jesus' lap. How exciting is that? But, but we would be foolish and naive to think for a moment that Jesus' words don't actually apply to us today. Jesus, every word he spoke is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Wait, how could these words be as true? Because you see, we have all kinds of wonderful children's programming. We had a children's story. We, we have children's Sabbath school, and we have wonderful children's Sabbath schools. We have adventures and pathfinders. We have Christian education. Children are a priority these days. Man, we do so much for our children. Piano lessons, violin lessons, soccer, baseball, basketball, band. We do so much for our children. You can't say that it's the same today as it was then. But let's look at what we actually do for our kids. We have program-driven ministries where we believe that if you have enough programs... If you have engaging enough programs that keep them coming to church, they'll stay in the church. We do all kinds of amazing programs for our children, for our youth. But I want you to think about it for a moment. The type of programs we do where we put them on for the children, for the youth, we're inviting them to be guests but not part of the family. You see, all of these programs, they're evangelistic by nature. You know, an evangelistic program where you invite your neighbors, hey, come to my church, there's a great program. And you go to that program and you learn from it. And the ultimate goal is you then become a part of the church and you start inviting people. But that's not what we do for our youth. We just keep putting program after program after program on, and we never actually give them ownership. We never actually invite them in to the church. We never make them a part of the body of Christ. We just put on programs. And then we wonder why our young adults are leaving at the church in alarming numbers. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, they're not leaving the church. They were never let in. You see, there are no height restrictions, no age restrictions on being a part of the family of God. When I held my boys for the first time, I did not look at them and say, Emmett, Arlo, I can't wait until you're older and you can be a part of the family. Absolutely not. That first moment, when I looked at them, when I held them, they were already a part of the family. Imagine a church like that. Imagine a church where our young people come and from the moment they walk in, they're already a part of the family.
But it's not easy. It, it gets messy. If, if we actually want to give our young people ownership of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, if we actually want to give them ownership of Pioneer Memorial Church, it's going to take some risks. It's going to take us doing some things that we're uncomfortable with. It's going to require us to come alongside them and involve them in the ministries we're doing. You see, what if we had a church where every single member came alongside a young person in the ministries that they were involved in and said, hey, join me. Join me in counting the offering. Join me in taking up the offering. Join me in greeting. Join me in going door to door. Join me. But there are two problems with this idea. The first one is obvious. What if you're not involved in a ministry? Well, that one seems like a clear one to fix. Get involved. The body of Christ, it's for each and every one of us. If you're not actively involved in a ministry that is growing this body, join us. Imagine what Pioneer would be if every single one of us was actively involved. Church was never meant to be a spectator sport. Get involved. And the second problem, what if, what if I'm involved in ministry? What if I'm doing things, but I don't know any young people? Well, it happens. But a fantastic way to meet young people, a fantastic way to get involved is join a grow group. But not, not necessarily a grow group like we've been doing them. We need intergenerational grow groups. Grow groups that take young and old. Grow groups that move across all kinds of boundaries, bringing us together where we can build those relationships where it allows us to start mentoring the next generation. And if you are involved in a grow group and there are no young people coming, find out why. Invite them. Get them involved. Young people need community just as much as the rest of us. Get them involved. And if you say, okay, I, I know young people. I'm doing ministry. But honestly, it, it's a little bit more complicated than that because finding someone and plugging them into the right ministry, helping them figure out exactly where they are in the body of Christ it's not that easy. We can't just say, oh, everybody up to this age, you should be a greeter. Because that's not how it works. But take those young people that are in your life, take those young people that you know, and sit down with them and listen. Hear their heart. Hear their passion for ministry. Hear their vision for the church. And let the Holy Spirit guide and lead that conversation to helping them figure out where they fit in. You see, growing up, it gets complicated. It gets messy. 
the teenage years, which we see the rebellion, you know that that happens for a reason, right? As, as children are growing up, we define them as parents, as pastors, teachers, aunts, uncles. We, we define them. We tell them where their boundaries are. We tell them what they enjoy doing. And, and as they grow up, as they hit those teenage years, they start wrestling with that and saying, wait, that's who you say I am, but who, who am I really? And they start pushing those boundaries. They push these boundaries because they're trying to figure out who they are for themselves. Imagine, though, a church where it says, okay, as you're figuring out who you are, let's come alongside you and help you figure out who you are in the body of Christ. Imagine a church where every single kid growing up here knew exactly where they fit into the body of Christ by the time they got to college. It would be incredible. Have you ever thought about the amount of decisions that happen during the college years? Often, we pick our career, choose our spouse and decide where we're going to live. Some of the three biggest decisions in life happen in that small window. Shouldn't we, as a church, come alongside kids before they are making those decisions and help them being, figure out where they fit into the body of Christ so that that can be the lens that they use to make these large decisions? Wouldn't... Wouldn't that be incredible if that was the kind of church we had? But I realize I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. I realize that there's a big issue and it gets messy because if we allow young people to actually have ownership of the church, then we actually have to let them make decisions. We actually have to listen to them and sometimes do things we're uncomfortable with. And it's easy to start quoting the Proverbs. Reminding that with age comes wisdom, and thank goodness it does. Because if I was making the same mistakes I made as a child, I would not be alive. Thank goodness with age comes wisdom. But here's the thing. Making mistakes is not the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen is doing nothing because you can't learn from doing nothing. We learn when we make mistakes. We learn when we mess up. And we get better. But doing nothing? Well, that's a tricky one to learn from. And often we think that, well, once the young are old enough that they're not making mistakes, once they're old enough that they've got it figured out, then we can start involving them and having... But no! This is not the message Jesus preached. In one book prior to 
Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus does something crazy. Jesus does something that, as we look back on it, it is alarming at best because Jesus sends his disciples out, which we're all familiar that he did this. He did this in Mark 10. He did it again in Luke 10, and he did it in Matthew 28. But here in Matthew chapter 10, when he sends his disciples out, he sends them out with specific instructions. He sends his disciples out, and they're to proclaim the kingdom of God. And this is the part that gets a little bit baffling because, wait, we know as we read through the Gospels, the disciples had an incorrect view of the kingdom of God. They did not fully understand the kingdom of heaven, and so this doesn't seem wise. Shouldn't Jesus have given them a manuscript and said, okay, this is what I want you guys to say as you're going out? But he didn't do that. The God of the universe in his infinite wisdom sent men out knowing they were going to mess up, knowing they were going to say things that weren't correct. And the same God has called us to ministry, knowing there are going to be times where we say things wrong, knowing there are going to be times where we mess up. The same God who he could have spoken the truth into existence the same way he did the sun. When he said, let there be light and the sun explodes into existence, he could have said, let there be truth. And everyone knows the truth about him, but that is not the method he chose. He instead chose us with all of our foibles and mistakes to proclaim him. It doesn't make sense. But you know what makes less sense? Is the audacity some of us have to say, no, no, God chose me and not you. God chose older people, not younger people. God chose men, but not women. No. You cannot read through the gospel and believe that because if God chose me, I know he chose each and every one of us. So church, imagine, imagine with me a place that not only invites the young people into the body of Christ, not only treats them as equals, but a church that grows them in to the leaders that God desires for them to be. This isn't just important to keep our young people in the church. This is important to keep our church, period. I, I get frustrated when people look at the young and say, you are the church of tomorrow. No, if they're not the church of today, there will be no church tomorrow. I don't think you understand. We're on the cusp of a huge sea change here. Our leaders are retiring. 
Not just our local church, but our conference, our union, our division. They're retiring. And if we don't start equipping the young to be the leaders, we will be leaderless. This isn't something we can put off. We put it off too long already. If we want to see God work, we need to start giving ownership to every single member. The Seventh-day Adventist Church was started by young people, and I promise you it will be finished by young people. And if we want to be a part of that, we need to start equipping and empowering them to take ownership of the church today. Today. 